Hey, Emily. <clears throat> Hi. How you doing? I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm uh, I'm all right. It's been um, it's been a really fucking stressful month. Yeah, for so many reasons, more for you than than me, I think. So, how how are you holding up? Like, what's the the real read on that? <laughs> Don't give me the Jonathan Ronzio positivity speech. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm always looking to optimism and all of that but but honestly it's been tough i'm i'm not used to um i'm not used to being emotional or like i i'm usually so like rationally able to process things and um accept and strategize and move on and um like where where to the point where when i uh, have you ever seen the show dexter um not like in totality but i've seen a couple of them yeah now, I don't want to compare myself to a serial killer, obviously, but at the same time, when in the like beginning of that show, when he's talking about how like sometimes he wonders like why he doesn't feel emotion, I, I like used to wonder that about myself. Not that I didn't feel emotion, but that I was able to so like calmly process things. Yeah. Um, and and this, this month has not been that. And uh, so I just was talking to my mom. You know, she's still struggling. She... Uh, she may get out of the hospital on the third, um, like Friday, maybe Thursday or Friday. She's hopeful, but um, but yeah, it's been she's been there since the first. And man, I gotta be honest, I've been uh, I've I've been anxious about this conversation because I feel like I have a little PTSD from the like beginning of the month, where. Um, the first is obviously when all everything erupted and uh, that was also when it was like May 31st. It was the, the night before was when like my mom was nearly passing out talking in the hallway and like dropped below a hundred pounds and like was severely dehydrated. And I like woke up on the first wondering if like she was going to be alive and needing to yeah. get to the hospital and had to drive through the BLM protests in Mattapan and Hyde Park to get her to the hospital and then came back and had spent like the next, you know, like nine hours trying to figure out the right way to pivot our newsletter and do something really meaningful to like make a statement and, and it getting picked apart by like internal sensitivities to make sure that we were saying all the right things and it being, and it's just like our hundred percent focus went to that for like a day and then we put it out and then um, had to field all sorts of shit and like customers canceling um, because we like said, you know, said we aligned with it. And like, there was just a, a hail, a maelstrom of shit that came out of saying something at the same time that all that shit was going on with my mom and so I just wanted to stay quiet the rest of the month. Not that that's the right solution, but like, I just couldn't like emotionally, I broke down and I couldn't like enter that space again. Yeah. Well, I think that that is understandable given the circumstance. And I think, I mean, I get your newsletter. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I really think that you did the right thing and I hope that you know that too. And it, I know there's probably business ramifications that don't feel great, but um, I mean, you did the hard and good thing there. 
And I think there's something to be said for that. So I don't know that that, you know, validates anything that you're, you've been feeling, but um, I, and I don't think that maybe you, you'll be able to validate it because it's probably not that way, but um, damn, it's really fucking hard. It's hard to also balance like the guilt or whatever you're feeling about your mom with then being smacked in the face with going through the protests and probably feeling some things about that as well, right? Like going through that and maybe feeling, I don't know, maybe not guilt is the right word, but like some sort of feelings, you know, about whether or not to engage and whether or not to be involved and all that. Yeah, it was, it was just a lot. And like, it's, it's interesting because like when, did we already start the episode? (laughs) Seems like it. Uh, When, when COVID happened, um, I felt, I of course felt bad for anybody affected, but I, you know, and we've said this on some of those interviews that haven't come out yet, but like, I kind of felt insulated like the, the business ramifications, we had a little blip with, with Trainual, but other than that, it was like we were doing okay and continuing to grow and hire. And um, I was enjoying, you know, my time not traveling and being home. And, and it was like, it was like a nice pause in the world for me. And, um, but I, I don't know that I fully like appreciated or realized how, I guess how hard I was working to make sure everything was okay through that. It was, it was like, I just was doing what I was doing and needed to do. And then like, you know, a few months in, it was like the culmination of all the time overworking and uh, you know, worrying about investor reports and hitting our numbers and, uh, and every, you know, the stresses of a growing team and all of that stuff. And then it kind of, it's like all that was under the the surface and I wasn't even paying attention to it. And then when the stuff with my mom hit the fan and, and then the, um, the protests and uh, just everything erupted at the same time, it just, it became, it was like the, the first time that I can remember feeling like hopeless Jesus. I mean, that's amazing in two realms because I feel like from that, there will be a lot of growth, right? There will be a lot of um, you understanding yourself more and probably being more in tune with, okay, am I overworking in this moment? Am I like just pushing things aside? Am I, you know, neglecting certain things? Um, but it's also amazing, right, that you've had such an outlook on life that that's the first time you've felt that way. I mean, that's kind of incredible. Um, so I think there's there's kind of like this, there's so many like lessons in those, in that like statement in itself, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, and that's, it's all, it's all perspective, right? And I've, I've been... That's part part of what this whole conversation is about, right? I, I've been very fortunate throughout my life, and um, <clears throat> it's just been, uh, I think, for for a lot of people, uh, a difficult time to know 
what to do, what to say, how to act in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and, but I think one of the really lovely, maybe not lovely, that's probably not the right, right word, but um, the really, you know, I'll just say beautiful thing that is coming out of this uh, around the Black Lives Matter movement is that, you know, a lot of people are waking the fuck up, you know, like in, in so many ways. And maybe it's small and maybe it's uh, very insular to yourself and like how your brain works and how um, you, know, you react to certain situations um, and how you're part of a greater system. And in some cases, it's like a complete dismantling of, of what you believe. Um, so I think there's going to be hopefully some really good changes that, that come out of all the terrible, horrific things that have happened. I, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, and, and to back to your point about like the, the Trainial newsletter, like, of course, I know that it was the right thing to do and I'm proud that we did it. I think it was just the, you know, it's, it's like getting a, not even about this moment, right? About anything you post, getting a hateful comment on a YouTube video or on like your perspective of an Instagram post, anybody that trolls you or, or is like upset with you or what in a, in a faceless way, like via the internet, right? It's a very hard thing to deal with. And, and the balance of what you need to read and positivity to outweigh the negativity is, um, it's, it, it was hard to find that day because it was like many of the people who agreed didn't write back. <clears throat> we had some incredible responses from people that were, you know, felt represented and heard and people that were appreciative of resources and things like that. Right. So that, that was amazing. But there was, it's like th things, saying things like that naturally trigger the people with the most hate or anger near the surface. And then that's what you have to sift through. Um, and it's, it's always hard to quiet the negativity when you don't have more positivity in front of you to outweigh it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, like with that versus like a, you know, I, of course it sucks when anyone says negative anything to you like it's happened to all of us. Right. But like in this circumstance, it's well the first time for me at least where i felt like um i've even remotely put myself at risk at all you know for this movement and that in itself kind of feels actually pretty good because it's almost embarrassing how long that's taken me personally you know um i don't know if that makes sense but it feels <clears throat> important like very very historical and important you know yeah I, sorry, go for no, it. No, I was just going to say, I saw that you're in the dock, but what were you going to say? I wasn't going to say anything except for us to look at this thing. <laughs> yeah. So the, like I had, I had put down just like, you know, I, I think I, I said this maybe the last time we texted is that like, I know that you've been more vocal than, than I have this month. And that was, you know, partly what I, I mentioned at the start of, of this conversation around, like my need to just kind of understand how to deal with my own emotions. Um, so then thinking about like doing a, an episode 
to talk about this, um, I needed, it was the first time in, in the Stokecast history that I was the one that made the Google Doc, right? That I needed, to actually, <laughs> I needed to actually put down the notes, not just show up and talk. Because uh, yeah. it's, it's important. But I mean, I, f- I feel like, I feel like we should just in- include all of this. Like, uh, it's been a, a great chat so far. Um, but yeah, I'm, that's fine with me. Um, I think, too, I, I think um, there's kind of a couple of pieces to this, you know, it's like, yes, it was, it was the coronavirus and that was happening. And then during that time, I don't know if you, I, I certainly didn't see a ton of news about um, the disproportionate effect of the coronavirus on people of color. Like I, I didn't see a ton around that. Um, and that's probably problematic of what I like view on my own social media and like what people I follow and stuff like that. Um, and so there was this kind of base layer that um, I just wasn't uh, reading up on. And um, I'm, I'm going to say this a lot during this episode is I'm embarrassed to say, but I think it's important that we are saying it right. Like that, that, we're kind of like owning up to whatever those pieces are and moving forward um, and trying to do better. Right. So um, I I personally just didn't really understand that underlying factor and it makes total sense now. And I read a lot since, since I've realized that. Um, But I mean, that in itself uh, is enough to make anyone fucking angry you know, and especially the people are that are actually directly affected by it, like people of color. Yeah, I remember I was kind of watching like COVID news pretty religiously. I was a bit of a, um, I don't know, I guess like when, when you're driving past a, a car crash, right? You just want, you, you look at it. And <laughs> I, so I, I was watching like, you know, in the morning I'd turn on, I'd, I'd flip between like CNN and and uh, listen to NPR and I would go to Fox News and and like try to like take in whatever was being said across the board and um, and then it was like mid to late April maybe I start I started seeing a little bit more about like the trends impacting you know more minority groups uh, at higher rates and and so I was I was a bit privy to that a little earlier um, with whatever I was watching I don't know but. I honestly like didn't know what to make of it because there it, w- yeah. it wasn't like there was an explanation as to why at first it was just like an observation right yeah well and then it obviously becomes clear that it is because a lot of these people the the people of color are essential workers and therefore they're out and having to be in public when you know there's a deadly virus that's going around um which all makes total sense once you kind of like put everything together right but yeah i think that's a a good lesson in like here's a headline that seems like almost too terrible to be true you know and um maybe examining those a bit more um moving forward um i mean and that kind of moves us to the um, terrible uh, death of George Floyd after Ahmaud Arbery was killed and, you know, gunned down in, in the street. Um, and, you know, obviously these are like very triggering and terrible 
in, in, in triggering in a historic way too, um, images and videos and sickening, you know? Um, and I think one of the things that obviously we learned from, from this is that there's just a deep layer of systemic racism in the United States. And I think that a lot of us knew that rationally, but I think um, the amount of resources and information and um, co honestly content that came out of these uh, inexplicable deaths with Breonna Taylor as well, um, just created a landscape in which people could finally, like I said, wake, wake that fuck up, you know? Um, and it became, for me, I know that you kind of talked about where you were, where you've been in the last couple months or last month and just kind of emotionally. For me, I just really didn't want to be performative. And I wanted to make sure that my reactions were not, I, I didn't think that my voice needed to be heard as far as like, you know, what you should be doing. You know, what I was trying to do, I guess, during the last month is, amplify resources from people like in my stories, for example, that I found really helpful in, in starting to unlearn some of the things that we've been socialized to believe. Yeah, I mean, makes sense. Like, I, I don't think as part of my, my biggest concern and probably a lot, a lot of people's is like you, you, you see people posting and then getting torn down for what they post even when they're like in support of right because they unintentionally said the wrong thing i think it's just it's such a sensitive time that that like but that said um you, like you have to use your voice right and that's that's yeah. the that's the biggest lesson um for actually I was just going to say that I actually took Myrna did Myrna Valeria did a class um, and I think almost like 200 people showed up a zoom class of um, like two parts and it was basically to dive into these types of topics identity race um, racial injustices um, all kinds of things it was very interesting and she brought in some of her like um, uh, past teaching uh, friends and one of the things that we learned in that class was that, and this kind of stuck with me and something I've been trying to think about in the way that I move forward is um, if it doesn't matter what a white person's intention is, if the impact is detrimental to a person of color, a black person, you know, whoever the um, suppressed group is. Um, so thinking more about what's the impact that this is going to have on someone who sees it, who's in a group that's oppressed versus like my own intention behind it. Right. Um, and I thought that was really interesting to think about and just sort of have in the back of my mind when, when we are using our voices, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> um, so I like do you feel like growing up you ever saw racism? Um, there were, I would say probably, you know, I don't have a definitive memory of like a racist thing that happened. Well, 
there was only a few black people in my high school. I think probably five to 10 through for all four grades. And I remember they, uh, the, the rest of the school would many times just like nickname them token. Um, and I thought that was a little messed up when I was young. And now looking back, I just think it's pretty messed up still. Um, but that was the only like thing that I noticed that was overt, well, I, mean, I should say. He, that's a, even to the point culturally as like, it's a character, Token yeah. is a character in South Park. Right, and, and that's a, I mean, South Park is created by two white dudes too. So they're, you know, they're like making a, a joke that's probably supposed to be satirical. Right. But then caught on to dumb high school kids <laughs> to use and, and make fun of and, and alienate, you know? They're, right. they're black classmates. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, um, I had like a few black friends when I was living in Chicago and then moved to Franklin mass. And, um, there, there were not a lot of people of color there. Uh, like, just like you, uh, there were a, f- a few in my high school, um, all, all great people, but just like primarily white my whole life. Um, there Bryant where I went to college, like it was, and even even now, it's like the as we know the outdoor industry uh, and and like my, the other side of my world, the like tech um, mm-hmm. software Silicon Valley world. It's like all been. Don't, I, I never really like stopped to think about it because that's been just my world and and my own I guess privilege to not have to stop and look deeper and think about. But mm-hmm. to this point most of my life has been surrounded by white people except for the points when I've traveled. And that's, that's also where I think that like, you know, when you can travel to other communities, to other places in the world and, and be that minority and experience that it's, it's so incredibly powerful and gives you such a different level of empathy and understanding and perspective. Like I, I remember being like the only white guy on a, in on a, on a bus in, um, in Chile and nobody being able to, like, I could barely speak to anyone and feeling like so lost and so out of place and so judged and scared even in some places. Right. And, and I can't imagine feeling that all of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'll just share a story that happened recently that um in just thinking about police and um you know being scared of police not being able to count on police um for fear of of getting killed or hurt or you know arrested for for no good reason um so recently i was at a socially distanced um dinner in a backyard in Boulder. And um, we had a moment, we were just like listening to music and just eating some like grilling out and stuff. And there was like four of us there and we, we were like laughing and stuff, but there was no sort of like loud noises. So I see this guy, uh, like a, you know, a flashlight come around the back of the, the house. And um, immediately he was a police officer and he came and walked towards us with his flashlight and everything. And, um, it's like, hey guys, we got a noise complaint. I tried to, you know, knock on the door, um, but you know, I don't think you guys are being that loud. But if you could just, you know, turn it down a little bit for me, so we don't have to deal with this again. Thank you. Um, have a good night. Literally walked away. 
And I just, this was almost like a week after George Floyd was murdered. And um, I immediately felt, I mean, I felt pretty guilty immediately because I was not scared one bit. I was like, okay, there's a cop and all right. And I just started thinking about how would that situation have been different if there was one black person, any people of color back here, would it have changed the dynamic? Um, would he have assumed something about, you know, we were in a nicer neighborhood? Was, was there going to be an assumption about that? Um, and it just, yeah, that was another like smack in the face moment where I just felt like this, this is the difference. Like this is the huge gaping difference, you know? It's just wild. How, how did you feel about um, Black Lives Matter when it really surfaced in 2016? I felt like, yes, of course. Like, <laughs> um, you know, I, it, it was kind of like, yeah, duh to me. But I don't think I really grasped the complexity I, d I definitely don't understand it totally, the complexity and the depth of systemic issues until this time around. I don't know. What about you? Did you feel like it was uh, a good movement? Like, what was your feeling? I mean, I honestly, I, I had I had no, <laughs> no issues. I was like, <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Um, but I, I didn't like... I didn't understand enough of, of the why of like, why was it right as much of a thing as it was? And like, I, I remember in Boston, like there was a black lives matter protest where people um, stood arm in arm across the entirety of 93 blocked, mm. blocked off chills that like ugh, right. the image of that on, on the, the like busiest highway going into Boston by exit, I think it was 18, which is like the, um, where is it? It's like two exits before the Mass Pike and just like stood there and blocked the whole highway. And I remember hearing about that and being like, like wondering like what happened? Yeah. Why? Right. And I, and I don't think it was like making the news as much, unfortunately, back then for me to like be educated, I was just kind of like hearing about it slightly and hearing about that and and I remember also at the same time hearing like the the all lives matters uh thing oh and, God. and but like without having looked deeper into the reason for black lives matter I was like I was like yeah black lives matter yeah all lives matter of course everybody matters right yeah we're good yeah. We all what's going on like I I didn't I didn't get it I didn't know um and I so I like but again, that's that's my that's my privilege to have not had to look deeper until you know now four years later, this surfaced again, and and I like totally understand right like unfortunately it it took like I hate saying this because looking back it's like why why didn't I look a little deeper right like what was going mm -hmm. on in my life that I couldn't pay a little bit more attention then but I'm not afraid to admit that I didn't. It's just honest. And, um, and now, unfortunately, it took a wider scale events 
and more news to get everybody to pay attention, which is a good thing to learn a little bit more, to look a little bit deeper. Yeah. And maybe Jonathan, I know you had something that it's kind of like a reading from Reddit that might be helpful for listeners if they're still kind of confused about why it's, of course, it's, in, it's obvious that all lives matter. Um, Black Lives Matter is what we at the Stokehouse are unequivocally standing behind. So do you want to share that kind of explanation? Yeah. To, yeah. Some people may have seen the, like, um, Michael Che did that stand-up special in 2016 called Michael Che Matters, and he had the Black Lives Matter skit, which, like, he talks about that, and it's gone pretty viral recently, and that's a, a really, really good like it's funny and that's the beautiful thing about stand up comedy right is it's funny but it points out what you need to like see yeah it's funny because it's true and they just tell tell it in a way that you can like it resonate with humor um but in a different context just like a matter of fact kind of thing i was reading through through reddit which i don't spend a lot of time on but it's often a great resource to really like dig through forums and understand issues and current events um and this one regarding that, I, I like, I saved and I like. So I'll just for the Stoke cast, this is the, the first, first reading. <laughs> Imagine you're sitting down to dinner with your family and while everyone else gets a serving of the meal, you don't get any. So you say, I should get my fair share. And as a res uh, direct response to this, your dad corrects you saying, everyone should get their fair share. So that's a wonderful sentiment. Indeed, everyone should. And that was kind of your point in the first place that you should be a part of everyone and you should get your fair share also. But dad's smart ass comment just dismissed you and didn't solve the problem that you still haven't gotten any. So the problem in the statement, I should get my fair share had an implicit two at the end. I should get my fair share too, just like everyone else. But your dad's response treated your statement as though you meant only I should get my fair share, which clearly was not your intention. But as a result of his statement that everyone should get their fair share, while true, only serve to ignore the problem that you were trying to point out. And so that's the situation of the Black Lives Matter movement. Culture, laws, the arts, religion, and everyone else repeatedly suggest all lives matter, of course. Clearly that message abounds in our society, but it doesn't change that for all lives to matter, Black lives have to matter too, right? And that's the points of a lot of these protests and the reason for the difference in these statements. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I, I think it's easy on, oh my gosh, I've gotten into a lot of, uh, I think I've gotten into a lot of arguments with bots on Instagram recently, but um, I think I need to just like chill because <laughs> I think bots are just like commenting random stuff to piss me off, but I don't really know. I don't know how to, I don't know what the internet does, you know? Um, but <laughs> I've been like getting into arguments with people on Instagram. But I, I think it's important that, you know, if you have people in your life that kind of claim the all lives matter um, sentiment, I think just like calmly talk to them about like, well, of course, you know, and, and maybe bring up an example like that, like Jonathan just read um, and try to help them understand that there's so much history behind this. And also it's, it's still not in a place where any of it is fair. So um, I think it's really easy to get really pissed off at, for me at least, for All Lives Matter folks. Um, but I'm trying to do better and not 
treat them with anger, but treat them more with a conversation if there's any sort of, you know, conversation to be had. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the most important thing in my mind is, is conversation talking about it, but like anger doesn't solve anything. It never does. And it feels good when you see it. Well, anger is a powerful emotion. When you feel angry, you feel powerful. You feel like you're in control like, and, and everybody is craving control. That's what we all want is control over our circumstance and opinions and right. And so anger is, is a tool with a lot of power, but, but it also doesn't lead to resolution. Um, you know, unless you're like Napoleon conquering something, but like that doesn't last right. Anger solving problems is not sustainable. And, and I think that, um, I don't know. That, that's like what, one of the the qualms I have with with anybody standing on any side of, of the issue is like if you are dealing in absolutes, um, you know, it's like it's like the quote from Star Wars, right? Like only a Sith deals in absolutes, right? <laughs> and like that's it's like there are no good cops. Like of course there's good cops, right? Like there's a lot of good cops. There's a lot of good people, but but there's also an issue, and um, and it's something that has to be addressed and conversed and solved. Yes. I, I think that anger doesn't solve it though. I'm going to push back on you a little bit there. You ready? Yeah. What are you going to push? Let's see. <laughs> well, I would say that because of how angry black people have been about there's this situation and how little white people have listened for so long is the reason that they've gotten to where they've gotten in the first place, like gotten the rights that they've needed. Um, Well, they still need many more, but, and I think that anger helped fuel, maybe it wasn't the thing that did it, but it helped fuel all of the donations flowing into the NAACP, the ACLU, the, uh, you know, all these organizations that are doing great work. It's what fueled all of the petitions to be signed for officers to be charged for um, those men who killed Ahmaud Arbery to be charged um, for, you know, people to step down, you know. So I think that I agree to a certain extent that anger, like anger on Instagram is not a good thing, but I do think that the anger and unrest of what we saw allowed for rapid, rapid change um, in a lot of states in the United States. Is it going to make it to a federal level at this point with what we have right now? Probably not. But the fact of the matter is that people are like more engaged now than they ever have been in this movement, maybe even more than they have were in the civil rights movement because of social media. Right. So I will say, I think like, to a degree, I, and I agree. And then also <laughs> there's this other aspect where it's like it fueled this huge fire, you know, made people sick to their stomachs and made them do something about it, you know? Yeah, I, I, uh, I see that and I agree with that. It's, it's funny that that like reiterates the fact that there's no, yeah, there's, there's no black and white of, of any specific issue, right? It's like everything has a yes and or a yeah. yes or right and um and so what like i agree with that and i think you're you're right i think 
anger when channeled into strategy does, does make a difference. Like, because again, anger is powerful and it, it fuels a lot of intent. And when it's, when it's channeled into strategy and petitions and, um, movements Calls and yeah, purpose, yeah. right. Then it, it can work, but not in a knee jerk kind of reactionary debate. Right. Mm-hmm. And this kind of, well, I told you, I would say that I'm embarrassed a lot in this conversation. Um, but I, I, I am, I am embarrassed of how long and what it took for me to, uh, snap and, um, stop being complicit in, in a racist society as much as I can possibly do that. And I think one of the things that changed for me, I, well, everyone knows about white fragility, the book now, but if you don't, it's like highly recommended that you read that if you're a white person. Um, I finished it. My partner is finishing or like as we speak right now. And uh, it kind of changed my, my whole worldview. Um, and one of the things she talks about in that book is the good, bad binary. And that if you're a good person, it means you're not a racist. And if you're a bad person or only, only racists are bad people. And those people are like burning crosses and they're the KKK and, um, you know, like very extreme examples of racial, uh, images that we have in the United States. Um, and so when she kind of unpacks that in the book and she does obviously a very better, much better job than I can do. Um, but she talks about how good doesn't mean that you're not racist, but it means that you are working towards being, um, anti-racist. And that's really hard because, um, we're socialized in America. You know, you and I have grown up in America. This is a racialized society. There are things ingrained in us that um, some some we might never know, um, but most we can learn and understand more and more and more as we continue on in our lives. Um, and so that book kind of helped me figure out that it's not really about me being a good or bad person. It's about me being either complicit to racism or or anti-racist. And so I'm kind of making a stand, I guess, but um, I, I'm obviously choosing the side of, of anti-racist. And I had a quote from her that I just wanted to, this is two readings in one episode, actually. Um, so this is like a first for the Stochast. Um, she says that, I have found it much more useful to think of myself as on a continuum. Racism is so deeply woven into the fabric of our society that I do not see myself escaping from that continuum in my lifetime, but I can continue and continually seek to move further along it. Um, and I thought that was really important because it takes at least the first part of that, like you grow up in the society you internalized so much when you were young that you cannot even remember. Like Jonathan, we were talking about memories of racism that we saw. We probably did see that, but we don't remember, right? It's probably so ingrained in our subconscious. Um, but I think this kind of takes a step back and looks at it as, no, it's just a way, like anything in your life, that you can continue to get better and better and better at and progress. Um, and I think that's a really helpful viewpoint to take because I think it can seem daunting for people to start to stand up and, and be more on the anti-racist side, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's powerful. I, I think 
I wholeheartedly believe in not, um, not judging somebody for where they've been, but appreciating them for the intent of where they're at and where they want to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, this like, you know, the, uh, I think recently I was, I was on Twitter and seeing that like people were up in arms trying to like get Jimmy Kimmel canceled because like he had done some skits on the man show as Carl Malone and, um, and, and it's like, I, I don't, it's, it's hard for me to understand that perspective of like, yeah, sure. Like people, people 20 years ago or 15 years ago or, or whatever, like might have thought something or done something that doesn't cement in stone the way that they are now or how they feel about something now. Right. I think like everybody has the opportunity to evolve and to course correct. Yeah, I think there's, I saw a really interesting, Instagram actually has been really helpful recently for information, um, which I usually don't look to it for like <laughs> information, but it's been great. Um, I saw something really interesting today that was like call out can- culture versus cancel culture and cancel culture should be completely reserved for someone who is showing no signs of evolution. Like Harvey Weinstein's a great example of this. Like he should completely be canceled. He did it again and again and again and again and again, and was never sorry for it and tried to get out of all of his charges. Right. So like that's someone who's not capable of evolution and progress and should be canceled. Right. Whereas call out culture is an opportunity for growth, right? If someone sees something that you're doing and says, hey, this affected me or, you know, this is affecting, maybe don't speak for people that are not your like group, but um, <laughs> this is um, affecting us and is offensive and we want you to like make a statement about it. Um, I don't think people should be canceled. I think they need to show that they're willing to evolve and say, yes, that was wrong. And here's why, and here's what I'm doing to take it forward, you know? Because cancel culture, I mean, there's no growth in that. It's just an end, just a total end, you know? Totally. And that's really not where we want to (sighs) be. Well, this is a heavier episode than we normally do, but I think it's important, you know? so should we talk about the Stokecast and, and what's to come and then maybe go through some resources? Past and future. Um, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, for, of course, you all, if you've been following the show or following us on social or in our Facebook group or text threads or whatever, you, you know that like we have been talking about the next season of the Stokecast dropping in, uh, in July and it still is, but um, Emily and I wanted to jump in and, and do this episode first um, because I think that we've, we've both been on our personal channels sharing, but haven't, um, you know, haven't spoken in detail to the, the Stokecast community about this issue and, and wanted to um, as a mean, like, you know, we, it, it felt wrong to put the next season out without intentionally having this conversation. But with that, it of course had us looking back at the the history of the Stokecast, and you know, with the with the upcoming episodes, like after we we've been through now five seasons, we got to I think episode eighty 
two uh, when we ended on on New Year's, and then we did the 83rd when um, when coronavirus happened. We did our like stay home episode, and then we put out the the ones after the Stoke from Home virtual event. Uh, all those different sessions, and then now after the ones that we've already recorded back in April and May. Um, by the time every single one of those publishes, we're going to get to a hundred episodes. We'll pass a hundred episodes actually. And, um, you know, this season was, was recorded in April and May. It was edited in June. Uh, and while every guest and every episode has been wonderful and full of, you know, incredible value and just like always fun, meaningful conversations, we noticed that out of literally these hundred episodes, we have had one black guest. And that was the beautiful, amazing Myrna Valerio, who, um, you know, she was episode 11, I believe. She was early on. And then when we did our Stoke from Home online summit, she was one person of color out of the 20 that were there. And so while we've always put really incredible attentionality around having an even split of gender representation in the show, and even sport representation, like beyond what Emily and I are usually training for, pursuing and passionate about, like the mountain sports, like we've brought in divers and, and you know, surfers and all, all sorts of stuff that, uh, that we don't do just to give more representation to a wider community of interests. Um, but looking back, like one, one black voice out of 100 in retrospect is, well, plain and simple, it sucks. And um, it's honestly like, hard to hard to like admit and think about and know right now given the state of what's going on and this the nature of the conversation that needs to happen but of course along the way it's like we i don't know emily we we never realize that right yeah i think we're not sharing this because i mean would we really like to share this not really i mean this is embarrassing to us um it's frankly unacceptable in my mind and now looking back like you know we thought we were doing such a good job of doing the split of the gender representation and I was very adamant about that with you and you were on board with it obviously and and many times we have way more women right than men but to just have such a blind spot um for the black representation it it, it just um it makes us a, a little upset, honestly, um, in looking back at it. And while I think we're really proud of the show and, and we're excited about the conversations that we've had, I think this is our opportunity um, and our uh, stance that going forward, this will not be the case. And um, we are going to make sure that Black voices are extremely featured. Um, uh, we don't have another season on the books yet, um, but that will be prominent in our conversations about who we reach out to and um, who we have on the show. And I think um, hopefully this is, you know, a lesson uh, for, for growth and we can start to use this mindset in both of our professional settings as well, you know, in our, the way that we address, um, you know, Jonathan, for you, like uh, hiring or um, for me, just the way that who I choose to work with at my own, my company that I work at um, and how I show up for my black colleagues. Um, 
So I think that being said, this is Jonathan and I's um, admission of maybe not doing the most we could have been doing, but that we are going to be doing it moving forward. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, you know, again, there's, there's no like going back and redoing what we've done. And we're super proud of the show, what we've created, the community that's been growing as a result. If you've been following along and you're engaged in the group, like we, you know, we, we love the conversations we've been having, um, you know, but the next few months of episodes that come out with this next season, unfortunately, are not proportionally uh, going to feature black voices either. They've already been recorded. I promise you'll love the conversations, but they are not this conversation. And that's why we're having this now um, because, you know, it is, I think that this is a, this is something that ripples out across the entire outdoor community. And I think it's why the outdoor community has been so vocal and is always so vocal and at the forefront of so many issues. Like the, the outdoor industry is such a, a beacon of hope for the entire world because I think the people who are involved in it are, are real champions of change and, um, and know that there is always progress to be made, right? It's the mentality that you take when you have never run more than a mile and you decide you're gonna do an ultra marathon, when you've never climbed a mountain and you decide you're gonna go to Mount Rainier. Like we, we as a community have the ability to see huge scale challenges and level up and know that step by step we can get there with small actions. And, and I think that that magnifies at scale with all of our voices, with all of our efforts, with all of like, you know, what the, the companies that represent the outdoor community do. Um, and with what the, the shows and the media landscape and the outdoor community do. And of course, looking back, it was, it was never the intention. It was just like Emily and I were reaching out to, to like people we thought would be awesome to talk to. And like, you know, it's not like we haven't necessarily tried to have more, but like the people that accepted to the show, unfortunately, yeah, that's that's the stats, but it will be certainly a, a bigger focus, a bigger mindful intention going forward because Stoke does not belong to white people. It doesn't belong to us in this show. It doesn't. It belong. Stoke belongs to black people, brown people, yellow people, gay people, trans people, every people. Stoke doesn't have a color, um, but right now at this moment in time we're talking about Stoke for black people. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's the update, right? For the Stokecast, that, that is the update on what's to come. Um, it's the update on, you know, what we've been feeling, what we've been grappling with, why we've been maybe a little bit more silent on um, the Stokecast channel than we, than we have been on our own personal channels. Um, and that's our, our intention moving forward. So, um, you know, if any of you guys, I've said it on my Instagram, but if anyone wants to chat about this kind of stuff, um, primarily, you know, uh, white people so we can change and, and help our um, black communities, um, I think we're down for it. So, you know, one of the things we wanted to leave you with is some of the steps we've been taking and the actions we've been taking. Um, because we don't want this to seem like, well, we, we don't want it to be a, we always want it to be actionable. That's what we want. Always, all of our Stokehouse episodes have to be actionable. Jonathan 
has to <laughs> make it actionable, which it should be. It, it should be. Um, yes. Like, that's what we're here for is to inspire action, right? Like we, we want to educate, entertain, have fun, and give you actionable takeaways to find more stoke in your life and level up. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you did with Trainual? Sure. Yeah. So um, things that I have been doing, uh, we did a move for the movement um, with the whole Trainual team where we invited everybody on our team now, crazily up to 42. Mm. Uh, I don't know how that happened, <laughs> but wow. we, yeah, I know. Right? It's nuts. Um, we were up to 42 on the team and uh, we invited everybody to um, move for the month of June and, and do do a whole team uh, challenge around how many miles we could clock with, you know, running, biking, kayaking, et cetera. Like even some, it was like how many hours of yoga equals a mile, right? Like we, uh, we let everybody just like set their challenge for how much they wanted to, um, to go for. And we're doing like a, a, a team matched donation to a charity of each individual's choice as related to this movement. Um, we also, um, we, you know, fortunately with Trainual, we have an audience of like 50,000 businesses around the country, or not the country, around the globe. Um, it's a it's a pretty wide audience that we can impact uh, with the way that they work. And um, one of the things that we put a lot of effort and intention into is developing a diverse and diversity and inclusion policy um, inside of our, our template library for any users and, and non-users to um, just use for their businesses that like if they're struggling to work towards more intentional inclusivity and equity in their companies, um, we wanted to help by um, working with partners in, in the space to really develop a comprehensive diversity and inclusion policy that we could help roll out to all these, these companies around the world. So we did that um, and are, you know, vowing with our company to step up our own inclusion efforts in the process. Um, also currently I'm reading inclusion by Jennifer Brown. I don't know if anybody's heard of that. It's Inclusion, Diversity, the New Workplace, and the Will to Change by Jennifer Brown. Got a few others on the, the reading list after that, but those are a few actions that um, I've been able to use my my platform and company for um, to make some, some progress this month. Awesome. Um, I'll go. So um, I, read, I read White Fragility, so if anyone wants to talk about that, I loved it and uh, have not stopped talking about it. So I'm sure Andrew would appreciate if I just like channeled that elsewhere for just maybe one hour. Um, but it is really good. So I, I think that's a good place to start when you're thinking about, you know, kind of unlearning some of the racial stuff that um, you have ingrained in you. So now I'm reading, um, so you want to talk about race and actually there's this great Facebook group for outdoor industry uh, female leaders that um, Becky Marciliano and Rachel Pop um, started and there's almost like I think 800 women in there um, who uh, Becky and Rachel kind of put out the call to hey we should do a book club for you know some of the white members in here so we can do the work. Um, and so that's why I'm reading. So you want to talk about race and I'm excited to talk to them about that next week. Um, we'll include maybe some more, we can, you know, update some reading lists for you guys um, that we've either read or have on the table ready to go. 
The other thing that um, I did at my job um, at Forrester, my corporate job, um, is, you know, basically as the protests were happening, reached out to my chief people officer and kind of was pretty adamant on demanding to know what we're doing to support the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and uh, I also put my hat in the ring, if you will, for being involved in our diversity inclusion council um, as well. Um, and so that was something that I felt was a little scary to, to reach out, um, but that uh, I felt uh, was important. So those are kind of the, the, the keys to these things. Um, and then donating, you know, there's a lot of great places that you can donate to. Um, some of the ones that I've donated to is just the funds for uh, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd's and Breonna Taylor's family members. Um, so I've donated to those three at least. And then to um, the Equal Justice Institute, which if you watch the movie Just Mercy or you um, read the book Just Mercy, that is an organization that's focused on um, getting people out of wrongful convictions, which are prim primarily people of color and black people. So that is a kind of roundup. And obviously, you know, we have everyone has Netflix, Hulu, all the things. So if you haven't already, you need to watch 13th. Definitely, definitely, definitely. That's like the number one, I would say, for understanding mass incarceration in the United States. So that's my kind of roundup, I guess. And I already voted by mail in Colorado. We have a primary tomorrow. So um, did that and was pretty excited about the candidates that I voted for for the Democratic primary. And hopefully the ones I liked win because they're the most progressive. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, should, uh, should we go on like a rapid fire resources thing here or, or where, where do you want to, where do you want to land this, Emily? Well, um, I think it would be more helpful for folks if we just, we can just share this list maybe. Um, and I actually did just want to share one more metaphor for that Myrna shared during her training. Um, sure around the outdoor industry. So anyone who's in, who's an ultra runner or a mountaineer or um, even someone who does like multi-pitch rock climbing, anything that you kind of sit in the Sufferfest um, is you have the tools to be able to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And that's really what this is all about is being uncomfortable with the fact that maybe you have things inside of you that some, some are not part of your, you know, your upbringing, some are part of your upbringing that you can address. And that's uncomfortable and it's gross and it feels bad and it's sticky. I don't know what other bad words to use for it, but you know how to do it. And that's the work that needs to be done in order for us to help black people, people of color to, um, have the same playing field that we do as whites. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, I mean, that's good for you for getting the mail-in ballot in already. I think that uh, for a lot of people, of, of course, yeah, look, look for, you know, do your own research on where you can donate. Um, there's, there's some great organizations. Like I, I've donated to ACLU. I think Emily mentioned the NAACP. There's a lot more. 
Um, there's plenty that you can read, listen to, watch, but I think, you know, a roundup of if you feel inclined to, um, you know, act, what you can do is, of course, vote. Um, educate yourself beyond what you're seeing in the hashtags and the social threads. Like, do do, do a little extra research because um, this, this doesn't go away when it stops being news on the news. Um, be actively involved in the conversations that are happening on social at the same time. Um, remember that you know, this is not an exclusively American problem that this happens worldwide. So again, research and learn, understand how you can play a part in um, moving history forward in the right way. And, uh, you know, have, have empathy for, for others, right? We, we talk about that a lot. And we're all a work in progress, but without work, there is no progress. I, I don't know exactly where I heard that or, or, or what, but it resonated. And I feel like that matters so much right now to realize no matter where you're at, again, there is always room to improve if you work on it. Yeah. So I want to, we want to thank you all for listening, for being part of this community, for um, going through this journey with us, you'll probably see us, you know, maybe we'll stumble and, and have to get back up again, again, but just know that we're doing the work and we'll be trying harder for those people in our community who uh, don't have the same representation or opportunities. So we really appreciate your, your time and diving into this with us and would love to hear your thoughts. You know, let's have conversations about this and continue that. Um, this is not, a moment like Jonathan, I think you said this, it's a movement. So um, let's exactly keep it word, moving. Right? I said yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got it. All right. Well, I, I, I didn't drop as many metaphors and analogies this time. I just, it was, yeah. this was, this was a serious episode, but, um, but again, uh, as always, we, we so appreciate you tuning in. If you're still here with us, thank you for, for listening, for hearing us out, um, you know, our perspectives and voices. And, and we hope that, um, you know, we, we would love to hear what you have to say, right? So if you have uh, an, an opinion or feedback or, um, or, or any perspective on what we've shared throughout this episode, please join us in, uh, in our Facebook group to search the Stokecast podcast on Facebook. Please tune, you know, get, get involved. Let's, let's chat. would love to. You can even text me 617-207-6369. Have at it. Let's chat. Oh my gosh putting that out there to the world <laughs> doing it all right i'll do it too 518-894-9160 that's it um but if it's easier for you like dming i'm e underscore halls on instagram and jonathan is something jonathan ronzio i think <laughs> that's it that's the name yeah. all right guys well you will be hearing our new season soon um but this will not be the end of uh our efforts here. So continue to stay tuned on that. And we love you all. Have a great rest of your day. Bye.